Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. So just a little while ago, I read the passage from Isaiah where the soon-to-be prophet hears uh, the clear call of God giving his young life purpose and direction, meaning and vocation. Well, uh, Bishop, uh, Methodist Bishop Will Williman thinks that that young Isaiah didn't want to go to church that Sunday, that his mother made him that he didn't get anything out of the sermon and couldn't stand the music. He doesn't like Bach anyway. And then without warning, the heavens open up. There's a vision and a voice. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Well, maybe. Maybe so. Maybe maybe Isaiah uh, did go to worship that day with some reluctance or uh, low expectations because or, or maybe because his mama made him. I don't know. But even if, even if, I, I think there was still some part of him, oh, 10% maybe, but some hidden holy part that he doesn't talk about much in public, but a part that yearns for authentic worship. I think there is a sincere but hidden hunger in all of us to find real encounter with God. And sure, we all come to worship with some mixed bag of motivations and possibility, partly habit, maybe even resistance, partly blah and unexpected. But still we have some pilot light burning that's hopeful that some genuine life-changing encounter with the holy might happen. It happened before in worship. Maybe today will be the day I meet God again. And so we come not all in the same place as usual, but we settle mostly in our familiar place in the pew, open up the hymnal, stand on cue, read the responsive readings together, listen to the beautiful music of this church, the anthems of great majesty, and most Sundays, God still seems silent again. We, we come in uh, dressed and smiling Inside, our souls are hurting and howling and begging. And God, most Sundays, still seems silent again. And so some people say, well, maybe I should just change churches and go somewhere where I can be fed. It's what some people say when they don't feel like uh, they're 
felt needs are being met by God. I, I think it's a way of saying there is this part of me that craves an encounter with the living God. A reminder of God's alive presence. And I keep going home Sunday after Sunday with another episode of silence. I, I want to be reassured in a, in a tangible way that God is alive, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I, w- I want a tangible meeting with the great mystery. To be reminded that my time and my money and my worship and my witness matter and that I am not alone. So we keep coming to sing and pray and read and listen and mostly, most Sundays, it's silence again. The biblical image of Isaiah's worship is terrifying, and yet we would borrow against that terror just to have a clear sign, a clear hearing of the voice of God again. The vision is so grand, it's so dramatic, it's so frightening. God up on the throne, high and lifted, and robes spilling all over the worship place. Winged angelic beings associated with light and purity, flapping and covering and singing, holy, 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 the earth is filled with the glory of God. And then the massive room shakes, voices deep, smoke and wonder, majestic and terrifying. And there's a part of us that pushes away because it is so frightening. And the part of us that leans ever closer because we want more than anything for God to reach through the veil that separates and shake us and call us to a clear purpose. We are so hungry for a genuine, life-changing experience of worship. At Second Ponce, we, we do our best. We try to set the stage for this possibility. Uh, it, it's, it's not to say that God can't speak anywhere. I mean, certainly God can speak in a tiled classroom set up with folding chairs for worship and flat fluorescent ceilings and Somebody playing holy, holy, holy on the recorder. I mean, God can do that. But in here, we, 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 we try to reach for and symbolize the grandeur, the respect we have for the bigness of God. And Verlene plays the organ big and loud and, and we've got space in here for days. I mean, there's plenty of room for the hem of God's garment to just flow all over the place. You may not know, but your ministers get together each Sunday morning before worship. We go over the service, but we also pray together. And part of our prayer is that God will get us out of the way. 
That we'll be prepared and effective, but not in a way that makes us seen. Prepared and effective enough so that we might not be a distraction to the encounter that we are hoping to provoke, invoke, and invite. By by the way, I'm making a not-so-subtle appeal for those of you still at home to put the iPad down and get out of your pajamas and join us here because we really do, in this room, try to set the stage for real encounter to happen. But still I know, most Sundays, Verlene plays the grand notes and it fills the room and light pours in the windows, and we sit in the majesty of this space. And most Sundays, we go home still wishing, still having fallen short of the great encounter we had hoped for. We can invoke, we cannot manufacture, Maybe Isaiah's worship deserves a closer look. I mean, maybe there are clues in this story that might expand our worship experience too. For instance, I wondered this week, does it matter that Isaiah's encounter happened in the year that King Uzziah died? I mean, it, it, it could just be a a way to mark the date, but it could also hold clues to Isaiah's being open to hearing the voice of God. You see, King Uzziah took the throne when he was just 16 years old, and he was apparently really good at it. I mean, Judah thrived during his reign there. He conquered the Philistines and the Arabians. He refortified Judah. He reorganized the army. He led in agricultural advances. According to Second Chronicles, his name spread abroad even to the entrance of Egypt. But Uzziah was also reading his own press clippings. You know, if you're 16 and become king and you're real popular and own all the magazine covers and all the early morning talk shows, you can might start thinking yourself a little more important than you should. And his inflated sense of self led to his ruin. Uzziah was not a priest. He was not set aside to handle the holy things. He was a politician. But a politician so full of himself that he decided he would enter the temple of God. He would make himself at home, put his feet up on the desk if he felt like it. He would even burn some incense on the holy altar. I'm the popular king of Judah after all. Well, the high priest happened to to see his royal hand in the cookie jar brought 80 priests together and 
confronted the king on his violation of the sacred space. And when he did, an earthquake shook the temple. It opened up a space where bright rays of sunshine came in, hit Uzziah's face. It turned leprous and other skin diseases took place. Before he could even offer up his sacrilege, Uzziah was thrown from the temple The government was turned over to his son, Jotham, and he was exiled for 11 years. Uzziah forgot that he was an earthly king. So catch this. In Isaiah's vision, the Lord now sits on the throne, not the self-delusional king. Maybe the reference to Uzziah is not just a calendar marker. It might be a way for informing all of us, triggering all of us, that our current objects of power and worship and delusion don't belong on the high and lifted up place, including our politics and our politicians. That's right. Your candidate has no place on the high and lifted up throne. Maybe the objects of our worship must die before we can enter into this place and experience God in a new and fresh way. Still, there there are other clues, other potential clues in the story, other things that we might want to pay attention to if we want to invite this kind of encounter. Before hearing, before Isaiah hears the voice of God, we do have this awestruck awareness that only God belongs on the throne, but also we've got this openness to wonder and worship. This this kind of self-aware openness that leads the prophet to say, Woe is me, I am lost. My, My hunch is that all of our worship experiences would be deeper and richer if right after the call to worship every Sunday, we whispered to ourselves and looked above and said, Woe is me. I am lost. It, it requires the humility to admit I don't belong on the throne and that I've got a ways to go before I am the version of myself that God is calling forth. I'm, I'm reading a book right now uh, titled Think Again. Uh, Professor Adam Grant contends that our inability to rethink, to be open to new possibilities, is doing damage all over the place. By his assessment, I'm quoting, calcified ideologies are tearing American culture apart. He says, we're, we're too much set in stone. We, we don't rethink our biases. We're, we're sure and set No room for new ideas. No place for wonder. I'm good. I got this. I'm good. He said that the purpose of learning 
is not to affirm our beliefs, but to evolve our beliefs. If knowledge is power, he says, knowing what we don't know is wisdom. In biblical language, it sounds like this. Woe is me. I am lost. Because when our sure answers give way to humility and wonder, God's voice has a chance to be heard. Before hearing the voice of the Lord, Isaiah's worship also included his confession. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And his confession is followed by his mouth being seared by the coals of forgiveness and the angel seraph declaring, your guilt is gone and your sin has been erased. See, all of this has happened before Isaiah ever hears the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord is not heard until Uzziah dies and the true God is put on the throne. The voice isn't heard until Isaiah's eyes are lit up in awe. Not until Isaiah confesses, I am lost and I am unclean. Now, I'm not saying that that we can manufacture encounter. But I am suggesting that these elements of worship might create the space for us to hear God's voice calling us into new vocation and purpose and lives of meaning. I mean, most Sundays... Right? Let's be honest. We do come in here and sit in a familiar pew and plan lunch. Low expectation. Same old hymns. And we say, I I, I wish God would speak to me. My life could use some clarity, some purpose, some calling, some meaning. Why is God always silent? Why won't God speak to me in worship? I keep begging and howling. Well, maybe God is speaking. Maybe God is speaking words of life in every service of worship for those who have ears to hear. For those who have put themselves in the right posture and who have cleared the space where God's voice might ring clear. For for instance, if all of that work is done and the minister reads from Acts, truly I see that God shows no partiality, it might ring as encounter and the possibility for new relationships and all kinds of things might open up if we're open, if, if in the responsive reading we, we open up and we, we do the bold type, right? If we confess our sins, 
God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what if we heard it with all the rest of the things clear and we really heard it and God's voice made clean? Be ye therefore kind one to another. That's God's voice in worship. I will never leave you or forsake you. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace so that we may be perfect and entire, lacking for nothing. What if, what if we've been sitting in worship all along with our arms crossed, decided and unexpected and bored and done this, and all the while God's not silent at all? What if all along God has been trying to speak through the noise of our lives, the words of hope? and renewal, and purpose, and meaning. What if we have Uzziah, or or some other symbol of success, on the throne where God belongs, and that that occupation keeps us from hearing clearly the Word of God? Or or, or what if we're just too self-assured for confession, or to admit that we're lost? Or or what if we're just so sophisticated that we have closed ourselves off to wonder? What if God has been speaking all along and we just brought in too much noise to hear? The professor who wrote Think Again said, I love this line, arrogance is ignorance plus conviction. What what if we're just so sure that we're okay and and so convinced that nothing's going to really happen in worship anyway? that we're not truly open to being struck by the great mystery, searing our lips with the holy heat of forgiveness and leaving us so all-filled that we raise our hands and declare, here am I, send me. It's time for us to come back. It's time for us to get back together in this room for the corporate worship of God. Where we can sit with one another in relationship and go through the disciplines that quieten the noise and the voices we tend to bring in here. 
and open ourselves to the great wonder and call of God who is speaking all along. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.